the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What did COVID do to our social circles? And then we're joined by Dr. Richard Safir to talk about creating healthy workplaces. You're listening to The Common Good. Everybody, welcome to The Common Good. You're on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Aubrey, how are you today? Doing grand. How about you, Brian? I'm, I'm good. Well, life is good. Every now and then, we just need to look in the mirror and be reminded, could be worse. <laughs> so. Definitely could be worse, Brian. That's accurate. That's was that a positive way of, of saying that or a negative way? I'm no, not sure. I'm like, yeah, was that, does that work for the cynics? That's kind of cynical and positive all at once. Could all be once. worse, everybody. It could it be could worse. It could be worse. Yeah. Every now and then, I have to remind myself, family's good. Kids are good. All I'm this healthy. is good. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We are good to go. And Aubrey, another thing that we are thankful for is that it feels like COVID is done. I know it's not, but it feels like over the last year. Can, can you remember you like two years ago? Story, yes, oh, go ahead. No, well, go ahead. It connected to two years ago. So, uh, you know, two years ago, the. It, you know, it felt like we will never end or it was just starting. Tell I don't even what. know time anymore. But I have a friend whose daughter is in college uh, on the West Coast and uh, they she lives in a sorority house. So a bunch of young women together, mm-hmm. big COVID o- outbreak. Everybody had to go home. And this was in January, home? Brian. Home! Home! So I'm like, please tell me this is not a microcosm of things to come. Hopefully that was just a weird fluke because they're college students and they're, you know, not sleeping well and maybe not taking the best care of themselves and not being careful. But but why that, send them home? That's weird. It, it was like old school COVID regulations yeah. again. Like they needed to isolate and go to school remotely. So that threw me off. I was like, but, you know, that's the West Coast. So we'll see what happens. It is. And it feels like colleges, like the more prestigious the college the more they're like scared of COVID it's a really weird dynamic I remember a couple weeks ago I saw that Northwestern had canceled some games and I was like wait we're still canceling games because of COVID uh, no yeah but for for the rest of the world it for rest of us I should say it feels like I don't give it a lot of thought. People still get COVID. Yeah. They're still very you so I don't want to be one of these people who's like, oh, COVID's all right. But it feels like we've learned to live with it for the most part. I know there's some people who Of course. Uh, there's some outliers, it's a much bigger but deal, yes. but for the vast majority of us, we've begun to just live with it and life feels normal. Which is why this I found this to be really interesting, Aubrey. Over at WebMD, they say this. That COVID has shrank our social circles Hmm. even after easing all of the lockdowns. It says for one in four people, social circles shrank, says a new study, even after lockdown restrictions were eased. Huh. But they take a positive uh, spin on this. They said when your circle shrinks, you tend to keep those closest to you, the people who probably are most like you. 
hmm. close to you. You lose the diversity and opinion and point of view that you might get chatting with someone they use in your pickleball league. Uh, <laughs> but the people who you are still close to, you stay really close to. So let me hmm. ask that. Let's start it there. Is the shrinking of our social circles and what they've kind of said is you're you're closer to your closest people who might think more like you and this and that. Uh, is the depth of relationship with less people a positive spin or is the losing of kind of people who may be a little different than you negative? How do you view this study? Yeah, I actually kind of view it. Well, OK. The introvert in me is like, yes and amen. Only I can, I only have to hang out with the people I want to hang out with and like and are like me. But the Christian in me goes, ah, uh, I actually, I actually don't think that's better. I'm not saying shallow relationships are better, but I do think it's so important for us to know our neighbors and people who think differently than us and have a different background, a different point of view, and that sharpens us that awakens our imagination to who god is and what god is doing in our neighborhoods and in the world and i think if we can if we allow ourselves to be too in the bubble with people we just like and are like us that's actually not that doesn't make for a better human being and it doesn't certainly doesn't make for a christian who's loving their neighbor and so i i can see how they're trying to put a positive spin on it i actually don't think it's positive now what i will say is you know, being able to be like, oh, you know what? Actually, there's, I don't have emotional capacity for you right now. You're mm-hmm, too mm-hmm. disagreeable or you're, the differences are too challenging and you don't respect me. So I'm going to, some of those sort of healthy boundaries, I do think have been good, like kind of in this post COVID world to be able to say, oh, there are some people that are just more worth giving my emotional time to and and some people that aren't so i think in that sense boundaries are helpful but i never think our own little like homogenous bubble is a good idea here's something they found that that is this is a more negative side that says americans have the lowest levels of social trust since world war ii and they say if neighbors within a community don't trust each other they therefore can't trust society at large that we are just not as trusting but then they keep giving like the flip side of like the positive spin where there is community and trust and trust. It seems like those relationships have dove much deeper, mm. like we're in this together mm. type of deal. But I think as we get away from 2020, 2021, where everything was blamed on COVID, I think we could just say this is who we are as a culture now. Yeah, that's that probably true. We're less trusting uh, you know, you and I live in the suburbs. We much more are probably much more insulated. Uh, we're on our technology more than we're in our neighborhoods yeah. or in our front yards. Uh, there was a, oh, who said this? Lyle Schaller years ago, before the onset of social media, Aubrey said uh, that the church must be the, must provide answers for the fragmentation of our society. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, he said that before social media existed, like in the wow. early 2000s. But I think this is hugely true. You and I are very concerned about the church. The church needs to be the answer to this, don't you think? Yeah, I think I think the church absolutely needs to be the answer to this. But it feels like um, we've been the problem. <laughs> A part of it. You know what I mean? Is is that fair? Like, if it feels like to me, this should be, we should be leading the way in this, but especially during COVID, it felt like we weren't. 
But if we're going to move past COVID and kind of just talk about like uh, neighboring well, mm -hmm. loving our neighbors, loving those who are different than us, it does seem like the church should be leading the way both in like practice and just in even thinking about this, loving people who are different than us and building relationships. It's interesting. I, uh, I sat in one of Kevin's, Kevin's, my husband, Kevin is working on his doctorate in something called contextual theology, which is a fancy mm -hmm. way of just saying like, God is at work in the neighborhood. Where's God at work? You know? Yeah. And this professor who's like a genius. Okay. One of the things that he said was essentially, we can't do this kind of work from helicopters. We can't do them from our cars. We need to be on the ground in our neighborhoods, at the coffee shops, at the businesses, at the restaurants, getting to know people, hearing stories, and then sharing those stories. And that's how you begin to see what God is doing in your neighbor's mm. lives. And it seems so basic, really, but it yeah. takes like an academic theologian to say that, <laughs> you know? It's so true. Can I, can I pause there? Were you sitting in on your husband's class? Yes. Like, Ryan, I you do enough, enough school already. I like, don't. I love school. I told Kevin, though, I'm like, I shouldn't have come because now I want to be here all the time. I'm just going to follow you and get your degree with you. Was this an online deal or did you no. actually go to the class? I went to the class at Northern Seminary and Are you it, kidding me? And I took notes. <laughs> you have a problem. <laughs> if I were I'm, Kevin, I would have said, great, you go. Take those I'm notes. A, no, you know what he said? He was like, I'll do it for you. Stop coming. <laughs> no, he he actually loved having me there. And it was really fun. But... He loved having you there once. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He does not want me to finish the degree with him. That's right. Yeah, That's right. I... So anyway, the uh, church anyway. needs to be an answer to the fragmentation of our society. That's and it. Thank you. Thank you. We're seeing the fragmentation in these post-COVID studies. We, we understand it. We all know this in our gut that this is how our society works, but our church can't work this way. But Aubrey, I do think that you might have uh, said something enlightening that you said, we actually might be part of the problem. Yeah. And, and that can't be. So right. coming up next, uh, fascinating uh, interview coming up with Dr. Richard Safir, uh, Dr. Safir out of Johns Hopkins. Uh, he deals with health and wellness, particularly in the workplace. And we're excited to talk about that with Dr. Safir next year on The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined uh, by Dr. Richard Safir. Dr. Rich uh, talks a lot about uh, workplace health, healthy habits around work, all of these types of really important things, especially as people are heading back to the office post-COVID and stuff. So Rich, really great to have you on. Before we dive into what you do, I gave a brief intro, but why don't you let people know more a little bit of who you are and what you do. Oh, sure. Uh, I'm the Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Wellbeing at Johns Hopkins Medicine. I am a family doctor by training, and yet early in my career, I realized, hey, most adults are spending most of their waking hours in the workplace. That's right. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, this is a pretty important area for us to address. So I kind of made that shift from a practice to supporting Johns Hopkins Medicine. Oh, that's so fantastic. And one of the things I was reading about you, Dr. Rich, is you talk about uh, cultivating positive emotions in the workplace. And I, 
uh, you know, I was just thinking about, especially many of us who have been working remotely, now we're going back into the office. It can feel a little difficult to gear ourselves up to have that positivity to go back to work. I think a lot of us enjoy it once we're there, but it takes a minute to get there. Can you speak to that? Oh, yeah. It absolutely can take a minute or more, depending on who you are. Uh, There's so many different strategies that we can employ as individuals to get us to that better place. I personally like using gratitude Mm -hmm. and practicing gratitude regularly. And it's not only us as individuals that can practice gratitude, but if you're a team leader, it's really important to express your appreciation for the contribution the people on your team are making and do that regularly. Don't wait until you're about to give some less flattering feedback. (laughs) Uh, Really, because most of the time we're doing great things and we just have to recognize it and, and be that positive leader in order to help others start to embrace that practice of mm. gratitude. That's good. Oh, that's impressive, Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people might think, no, the most important thing about a business or an organization is productivity. So shouldn't that be all that we care about, the bottom line? Help people understand the importance of a positive workplace environment and probably how that leads to productivity. Yeah, I mean – If you expect to be productive, how are you going to do that if you have a headache from the stress of work or if you've got a stomach ache because you're so nervous because your boss is the kind of manager that makes you nervous? So we really need to understand that if we're not healthy, if we're not at our best, then we can't give our company the best. Mm -hmm. And so I would consider employee health and well-being to be the foundation upon which all other successes for an organization come from. Wow. And Dr. Rich, one of the things that you emphasize, and and you mentioned this before, was that this is sort of a team sport. Like when we're Mm. talking about health and wellness in any organization, it's not just top down. Everyone should be involved in this. How do you even begin to cultivate that culture? Well, I don't think most people recognize the power of peer support. Mm. I don't think most people recognize that the statistics play out that our healthy habits are more influenced by the people around us than our own willpower. Just think about New Year's and New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Most people, like 88%, 88%, they're done by the end of January. Right. And why is that? Most of us set our own goals and then we just keep it to ourselves. We really need to embrace the norms, the healthy habits that our teams have. And if our if our teams are lacking some healthy habits, mm-hmm. there's definitely a way to intentionally shape those healthy habits so we can support each other. Uh, I give that necessary formula in the book, A Cure for the Common Company. And Rich, if somebody's listening right now and they go, you know what, I'm in an unhealthy organization. Uh, I'm, I have that stomach ache. I have that headache. What would you suggest they do uh, short of quitting? Maybe eventually it gets to quitting, but what, what should they do to try to um, bring this to light? You know, this is not an uncommon scenario, uh, but the good news is it's not happening all over. And in fact, Within a company, you can have pockets of teams that are feeling good and supporting Mm -hmm. each other on their health and well-being and pockets that are not. So I don't suggest you automatically throw your hands up and and look outside your organization. Mm -hmm. You might look inside your organization for a team that you think has a better 
uh, positive climate, or you could give your manager a gift, uh, give them the gift of a cure for the common company, because this was specifically written for individuals and leaders to know how to shape that work team so that everybody benefits. We have to do this together. We have to be a team when it comes to well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the title of Dr. Rich's book is A Cure for the Common Company, A Well-Being Prescription for a Happier, Healthier, and More Resilient Workforce. Um, Dr. Rich, I don't want you to give away your material, but I do want you to give us a couple examples. So what are some... I don't know, some steps, some practices that you've seen or you or you encourage companies to begin instilling for greater well-being and health. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you for asking, Abra. I, I, I love giving the information away because this is really important. So there are six building blocks in the well-being culture model that I share in the book. And I've mentioned one of them, peer support, and I'm going to stay with that one because uh, it's something that everybody can use. So our coworkers can be our peers and not just to collaborate on our work. They're there and they can be helpful in supporting our health, but we have to let them in. We have to allow our coworkers to understand the healthy habits that we're trying to create or the unhealthy habits that we're trying to let go of. And sure, it's going to be easier to share that with some of our coworkers and more difficult to share it with others. You have to obviously use your best judgment for who you want to trust on your well-being journey. Now, a team manager can make that easier by highlighting two people on the team who that manager knows may be working together on a healthy habit. Hmm. And so it, it doesn't just have to come from the individual on the team. It, come, it could come from the team manager. The organization at a global level could support peer support by maybe creating challenges where it's not one individual challenging another individual. Maybe it's teams that are challenging each other to, yeah. to getting outside or taking more steps. Create ways where people are working together on their well-being journey. Oh, that's really good. Rich, uh, before we let you go, what would be one more technique? Oh, that The first one is wonderful. What would be one more technique or strategy that people can employ to head down this path? Listen, I, I love taking a breath. Mm. It may sound really simple, and yet it's actually pretty difficult to get in the habit of just taking a breath. Hmm. But when we find ourselves stressed, and I've used stress uh, several times as an example because 70% of working adults experience moderate to higher stress levels in the workplace. Wow. If we can remember that we end up holding our breath when we're stressed Mm. and that can cause our muscles to tighten up it can give us a headache it can raise our blood pressure take a breath it's free we can (laughs) do it anywhere (laughs) and it's easy to learn Um, and I suggest if you want to learn more about breathing I do weave that through the book but you could actually learn from YouTube uh, different breathing techniques that you Mm. can use in the workday and it can really help lower the temperature 
Oh, it's great. Again, the name of the book is A Cure for the Common Company, a well-being prescription for a happier, healthier, and more resilient workforce. The author is Dr. Richard Safir. Dr. Rich, this has been a great pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Is thinness connected to godliness? And later, we're joined by author Becky Robinson to talk about using your voice on social media. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. So thrilled that you're with us today. If you missed any of today's show, we talked about my book, Known, which is kind of fun. It's a little Mm -hmm. bit of self-promotion. But we were also joined by Dr. Richard Safir from Johns Hopkins to discuss health in the workplace. We would love to invite you to go back and catch up on our podcast. Wherever it is you download and stream your podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review there. We also always love engaging with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, Brian, I wanted to kind of talk about a weird, well, what I consider a weird trend in Christianity, or at least mm-hmm. there's a subculture of Christianity. Let me tell you the most extreme version of this that I can think of. There was an HBO documentary recently about the Way Down Workshop and the leader okay. of that. I don't know if you remember it. The leader was kind of notorious because she had this massively high hair, but she was like 90 pounds. She led all of these, essentially all of these women around the country in like, quote unquote, spiritual diets that ended up really being starvation. And she began Mm. to conflate kind of this very twisted, like self-discipline with thinness thinness and godliness and then she sort of built a church around the whole thing oh that's right that's got, right it got very culty and weird now she died in i think a helicopter a plane crash a plane yep, yep, with yep. several of her other quote-unquote church folks but you know that's an extreme version but there's mm-hmm. also like i have friends that are doing things called the daniel diet or there's there's other trends out there about like being fit God's way, you know, using the Bible to to get to health and wholeness. And I'll be honest, I think this a couple things. Conflating theology and Christianity with diet culture is bad mm-hmm. theology. Mm-hmm. One. Two, is thinness connected to godliness and i feel like ultimately that's what a lot of these messages send is that if you're not if you don't weigh a certain weight if you're not under a certain um whatever you step on the scale it's not some certain number then you are not a godly obedient proverbs 31 woman i know i'm asking you as a man to speak into this but you know you've got daughters i got daughters you you see yeah you see them as most young girls and women do struggle with body image stuff so what are your thoughts about this whole industry in christianity yeah they they should not be linked together like i don't think that when we spiritualize body image now you're putting on uh baggage that is that is terrible like you know we've both know people who have gone through eating disorders and this mm-hmm. and that and, and it, these types of messages just pour gasoline on it and now if you add on top of it for a young girl or someone who has struggled that god wants you to be thin 
and God wants you to be fit, that's just manipulation to get you to buy this diet or this whatever, but it ends up coming with repercussions. So, no, uh, there's nothing wrong with thinness right? uh, when done healthy. There's nothing wrong with exercise. We just don't need to put it in the spiritual realm and go, this is a God thing. No, it's not. Maybe it'll make you feel better. Your back won't hurt. Your whatever. You can run a marathon. That's those are all good things. And, uh, you know, there are reasons for people to be in better shape, especially as they get older for. But but let's not go. God is happy. If you start, especially for younger women, if you start giving them the message, God is happier with you or loves you more or is pleased with you based on the number on a scale or the uh, or the percent body fat or whatever. And people out there might be thinking, that's crazy. It is crazy, but it happens. And and especially in the age of social media that we live in, you know, you start. uh, Yeah, this is super dangerous. And I and, and it you know, you want to know why these books exist? Because people buy them. Yeah. And. Let's just not go, here's dieting the Bible's way. Here is, like, I just think that's all dangerous. Like, the Bible is not written in there so that I know how to lose weight. And it sounds crazy to even say, but Aubrey, these are best-selling books. These are influential people, uh, and they're they're really having a a hugely uh, dangerous effect, particularly on young women. Yeah, I actually think it's spiritual abuse. I think it's physical yeah. abuse. I think it's it's really, really dangerous. And and even outside of, like, the Bible's not a diet book. The Bible's mm-hmm. not a cookbook. The Bible is not even a business book. The Bible's no. not a science book. Like, the Bible is not a, the Bible's not a leadership book. And I think what we do is we take these categories and then we put the Bible on them. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, one, it's not good Bible reading. It's no. not good theology. It's not good orthopraxy. Let's start there. But right. two, when you get into this body image shaming cycle, it is flat out abuse. And I would go so far as to say it's evil. Because yes. then suddenly, and I, I, you know, I'm saying women, because women are being targeted by this stuff. Yeah. But it's not just women. No, it's but, not. But generally... Suddenly, women who already have such pressure societally, at least in the American West, to fit into a certain size, a certain shape, a certain skin color, a certain hair, a certain, all of it, suddenly you're, you're adding God to that. Mm-hmm. It is just, I think dangerous is the word you use, and that's the right word. Like, this is to be uh, rebuked, renounced, stayed away yes. from, and look. Get healthy if you want to get healthy. I, I just don't got just don't cloak it in. Well, the Old it. Testament prophet said that right. you should, no. Daniel, no, uh, with all due respect to Rick Warren and others, Daniel was not is not primarily, and I, Rick Warren would not say this, but uh, it's not primarily how to lose weight. It's not like, a diet book. It's not a diet book, but yeah. that thing sold like. Uh, no pun intended, like hotcakes. Yeah. <laughs> it just uh, uh, sold and sold and sold. And uh, again, I'm all for people getting in shape. I'm yes. all for people losing weight in yeah. a healthy, non-destructive yeah. way. Yeah. Um, but man, I don't think people understand the the damage and the deep dangers of things like eating disorders of things like body image and what, especially younger girls, 
Uh, and girl, you're right. This does deal with men as well in different ways, but by and large, this is a yeah. primarily a problem for for females. And it the the message from the church cannot be: Do you want to please God? Then uh, buy this product and yeah. get in better shape, or yeah. come to this Zumba class and right. tie those all together. Right. It's such a dangerous message, and those of you who don't understand it, you're like, ah, oh, what's it? What's the harm? The harm is great because it goes back to what we talked about before. Do I believe I was created in the image of God, yeah. and do I believe that God loves me, or have I now put on to me? Uh, I've somehow wrecked this image, and God will only love me if I drop twenty pounds. Yeah, that is yeah. destructive beyond measure. Yeah. I also, I mean, I, I feel like there's a lot of layers to it. It's anti, it's anti woman. It's anti gospel. It's it. Oh, it's so harmful. So, Brian, uh, on on a totally different topic, sort of. Yes. You said sell like hotcakes. Do you know? I just realized, like in the last month or two, that hotcakes are pancakes. Have you People never would... been to McDonald's breakfast? people would say that phrase it sells like hotcakes and it t- one day i was like what are hotcakes and i they're googled pancakes. them they're pancakes yeah see do they, you just, do they call them hotcakes at mcdonald's yes you just told on yourself that you never took your kids I'm to mcdonald's sorry. playland for breakfast I, growing I up because they they would get you don't get pancakes at mcdonald's you get hot you cakes, get hot cakes. Okay. yes well yeah i i did i didn't realize that now i know all right well if you see those books we want to encourage you to stay away from them but we also want you to know that you are loved and if you want to choose health do it out of love for yourself not out of hate for yourself coming up next we are joined by becky robinson she's a founder of an organization called weaving influence she's the author of a book called reach really interesting take on how christians should be utilizing social media to get the message out that god has given them i think you're really going to like her perspective on this it's different than others that we've heard we're going to talk with becky when we return you're listening to the common good on am 1160 hope for your life Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. We are thrilled today uh, to be talking with our friend, Becky Robinson. She's the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence. She's the author of Reach. We want to pick her brain a little bit about using stewardship in spreading the message that God has given us. And Becky's also a Wheaton grad, so we have some connections there. Becky, Mm -hmm. thanks so much for being here with us today. I am so glad to be with you and meet you, Aubrey and Brian. And this is kind of a kind of a pulling uh, back the curtains a little bit. Becky has known our producer, Laura Finch since she was, I think, in fourth grade. So it's <laughs> really fun to have that have that reunion there. Um, but Becky, talk to us about the message of your book, Reach. The subtitle is Create the Biggest Possible Audience for Your Message, Book, or Cause. What made you decide to write that and what's it about? Sure. Well, I have been working with authors and thought leaders and nonprofit leaders and business owners uh, over the years, over a decade in my company, Weaving Influence. And one of the things that these folks always want to know is how do I create a larger audience for my Mm -hmm. work? And, you know, 
that's been part of what our services have been designed to deliver is helping people to show up in online spaces in the same powerful ways that they may show up in real life. So one of the things that I've noticed, Aubrey, is that, um, you know, people across all ages, if they haven't necessarily invested in building an online presence, there's a gap between potentially the power of their expertise in the world with those people that they may be with in person. Mm. And then if you go online and you can't find them, um, there's yeah. this influence gap that's created. Um, and I, I noticed that particularly with folks that I might work with who were academics, you know, maybe they were professors and everyone who, you know, is associated with the, their university may know about them and their work. And then if you Google them, you find, you know, you might find those academic articles, you might find a LinkedIn profile, but you wouldn't really be able to access their brilliance. Right. And right. so one of the reasons why I wanted to write the book is I wanted to make my ideas a bit more accessible in terms of giving people a vision for the powerful impact that they can expand when they choose to invest in in social media and other mm. online marketing. And I think that what happens is people have a lot of resistance. Mm -hmm. You know, they get the idea that social media is about self-promotion. Mm -hmm. And what I'm really trying to do through the book is give people a vision for the way that they can use online spaces to make a bigger difference in the world. And so if we have something of value to share, it's not about promoting ourselves. It's really about promoting that message. Becky, yeah. mm. that's, so that's fascinating because... Even recently, we had somebody on the show uh, who said, I'm getting off social media. Christ almost said Christians should get off of social media. Uh, and I appreciate what you're saying. Like, let's mm -hmm. use it and steward it uh, in, the, in the correct way to have that sort of influence. So it's kind of a big question. But how do we as Christians, how would you say that we should approach social media so it's not a net negative in us, but we can use it like in the ways that you're saying? Sure. Well, I think the first thing is to be really clear about what the message is that we're hoping to bring. So what's mm. the value that we hope to offer? So even those of us who are not in full-time Christian ministry, you know, there may be some value that we have to share with the world. And we also have this amazing faith message that we can share with the yeah. world. And what I often come back to is Matthew five fourteen. You know, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do you light a lamp and put it under a bowl. I think when we as Christians say, well, I'm not going to be on social media, we are basically limiting our possible impact in the world yeah. to those people who can see and meet with us in real life. And when yeah. we choose to show up in online spaces, we are exponentially expanding the possible reach of our impact. Mm. So, you know, for those Christians who are not sure, and, you know, certainly th there are some people at some times that may find that, you know, social media is kind of like one of those things where you have to cut off your arm to keep from sinning. Yeah. You know, maybe, <laughs> right, maybe, right. maybe some of us can't show up in ways that are healthy. Yeah. But I think for the rest of us, if we are clear about the valuable message that we have to share, and if we focus our online presence about what we can give instead of what we can get, then in that way, um, we can find it to be a positive force. Oh, and what I just love that. Yeah, one thing to keep in mind also is that I talk uh, in, in my book, Reach, I talk about these four commitments. The first one is this commitment to value. And I think, you know, we can think maybe value is about the content. But I also want to emphasize that value is not only about the content that we're creating and sharing online, but it's also about the connections that we're making. Mm. And our very presence of showing up in online spaces can be a way um, to meaningfully uh, 
make a difference in the life of someone else. And we might not even see that. Mm-hmm. We might not see it immediately. We might not see it ever. Uh, but, but as we share that value of the content and the connection, we're setting ourselves up to make a bigger difference. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic, Becky. And I love that you just mentioned the commitments that you write about in your book, Reach, because I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about those. Can you share another one of the commitments with us? I would be thrilled to share them all with you, Aubrey. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> uh, so the first one is value. And, you know, I already talked a little bit about that. The second one is consistency. And, you know, sometimes what happens is people get really excited about showing up online, you know, maybe growing their Instagram presence or their TikTok presence or YouTube or whatever channel they're choosing or on their website. And they go gung-ho, you know, yeah. everyday posting, and then they disappear. Mm. And what I have found is the only way to grow the impact, grow the audience for your work is to consistently show up over time. Mm. And so I also talk to authors a lot, and this is not one of the four commitments, but in order to be consistent, you have to have a sustainable approach. Yeah. So what you don't want to do is show up online because you have a book coming out, for example, or because you have a product to launch or because you have a program to promote Mm -hmm. and show up every day all the time and then disappear. You know, you can't have an impact if you're inconsistent. Yeah. So the first one is, you know, show up with value, show up consistently. And the third one is longevity. Mm. And so I think uh, when I define reach in the book, uh, my definition is, okay, now I'm like blanking. (laughs) (laughs) My definition of reach is uh, expanding audience plus lasting impact. Mm. So a bigger audience doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to have impact. So true Mm. reach is the audience Mm. and the impact. And the only way to really get the lasting impact is to stick around That's great. and people get so impatient. So when people are just getting started with using online tools, you know, they think they're going to get immediate results. The reality is, and the data shows that it might take an entire year hmm. of using online marketing approaches before you see any results. And Dory Clark, who's a thought leader, uh, author says that it takes five years of sharing valuable content online to be recognized as an expert on your topics. Five years, Aubrey. So, you know, if, if you are a church leader or a nonprofit leader or a business owner, and you think that getting online for a few months is going to create a a massive Mm. audience or groundswell for whatever you're promoting, it will not happen. I have been, you know, working on my own online presence for like 13 years. Actually, Laura is the one who on January 1st of 2009 said, Becky, you need to get a Facebook account. (laughs) (laughs) We're all here today because of your producer, Laura. That's awesome. That's awesome. Becky, this is, this is so helpful to think through and and to consider. Uh, If people want to get your book, if people want to connect with you through social media, uh, tell us, point us all the directions where we can connect with you. Oh, I promise. But I have to tell you the last commitment first. Go ahead, please. I was going to say, I only have three. I'm writing it down. I need one more. Yeah, no problem. The last one is generosity. And this is the Mm. unexpected one. 
And, you know, what I have found is that when you use your online presence in a way to give freely to others, you increase the likelihood that that people will be drawn to what you're sharing. Mm. So, you know, first you have to show up with value consistently over time and give freely. And those four things can contribute to growing your audience and creating the lasting impact that you want. So, Brian, I promise I'll tell people where they can find me. (laughs) Uh, So I have two websites that you can check out. Weavinginfluence.com is my company, my organization's website website. BeckyRobinson.com, just my name, is my kind of author, personal website. And on all the social media platforms that I'm on, which are, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, not TikTok. No, thank you right now. <laughs> uh, I, I am Becky Robinson, but Robinson without the vowels, R-B-N-S-N. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I have a podcast. I have tons of free ebook resources. Um, and I would love to hear from anyone who would like to learn more about how to expand the audience and impact of their work. Oh, so fantastic. Becky Robinson is the founder and CEO of Weaving Influence. She's also the author of a book we've been discussing with her called Reach. Be sure to check her out today. Becky, thanks so much for being here with us today. It was a blast. We loved having you. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.